The following is a Frank R. Wilson presentation. Welcome to where we celebrate music from the movies. From the golden age to present day, we've got it covered. We talk to those from the industry and learn about them and their favorite scores. Welcome to What's the Score? I'm your host, Frank R. Wilson. So let's take a look at the shelf of CDs and see what we're going to play today. Recognize that music? It's among the favorites of our guest today. My listeners know that I'm a big James Bond fan, and that affinity has introduced me to some wonderful people in the film industry and also to popular internet influencers. Today's guest uh, is an example of that. As host of one of the longest running podcasts on James Bond, called appropriately enough Being James Bond, uh, he has become an internationally known as a major voice on all things Bond. He's the author of a great book called Being James Bond, Volume 1, which I highly recommend, and also hosts another podcast for film reviews called Reviews Without Remorse. Please join me in welcoming to the program Joseph Darlington. Hi, Joe. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate uh, the invitation. I've been listening to this podcast for some time now, and I'm enjoying it thoroughly, and I'm very thrilled to be here. I appreciate that. It means a lot coming from you. I I, I mean that because uh, you're you know you've been doing this a lot longer than I have. So thank you very much. I, I appreciate it. Um, we typically always start our programs with trying to get to know a little bit about the the guests that we have today, a little bit of background. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, growing up and family and things of that nature. Yeah, absolutely. I was uh, I was born in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, raised most of my life uh, in the suburbs of New Jersey. Uh, became a Bond fan early on. I think that was something that was handed down from my father. And uh, yeah, kind of became sort of a hardcore Bond fan as I got a little older. Uh, I started the uh, Being James Bond podcast in late 2006. Uh, ironically, it was right around, it was just before the release of Casino Royale. So the timing was pretty perfect. Mm. Uh, yeah. And my uh, kind of love of Bond has just grown ever since. Uh, as you mentioned, I did recently uh, start a different podcast, a, a new podcast called Reviews Without Remorse. Uh, again, that is the, the film lover in me. Uh, and I did that with a partner, my friend Dave. And uh, yeah, that's been going strong uh, about uh, we're going. I think we're going into our fourth year with that one. 
Uh, and that's it. I, I also write, as you mentioned, I have a book called Being James Bond, Volume 1. Uh, I am uh, trying desperately to get Volume 2 finished uh, in time for the new film uh, for Bond 25. And uh, there you go. That's, that's kind of where I'm at now. Yeah, I always wondered, since it said Volume 1, I assumed there was always something in the back of your mind that said there will be a Volume 2 one day, and so I'm glad to hear there is. Um, yeah, but, you know, James Bond, when you when you talk about the things that James Bond knows how to do, it's it's almost an infinite list of things. Uh, every, throughout for every film, there was James Bond demonstrates his abilities to do things, and that was sort of my fascination. It, it just seems like anything you put in front of this man, he he can do, and he can do it expertly. Uh, so that was sort of my uh, my fascination and my thesis is this something that uh, a normal person can aspire to do. So, yeah, it was it was always meant to be several volumes. And I, I was hoping to have the next one out much sooner than this. But again, uh, we're working up towards <laughs> getting this done soon. Yeah. Yeah. And and I didn't even know about the other web. Uh, uh, excuse me. The other podcast reviews without remorse was the idea to uh, with a title like that. It sounds to me like it must be a hard hitting you know, <laughs> slam them, call them like you see them kind of a kind of a review. Is that is that is that kind of the premise behind it? Uh, it was it, the the premise was, yes, a pull no punches uh, look at films. Uh, if they work, we'll we'll say why. And if they don't, we will not hold back. Although I, I think ironically, I think my personality and, and I think my partner Dave is the same way. Uh, we're not only are we much too diplomatic to be as harsh as we sort of uh, thought we would be. Hmm. Um, again, it's very hard for me to be that uh, critical of someone else's work. Uh, I mean, again, there are some times when you look at a film and you can call it a, a cash grab and, and it's kind of heartless and soulless and corporate. Uh, but oftentimes you're talking about, again, someone's the fruit of someone's labor. And, and when you when you when you know that someone's trying, it's very difficult to to be that critical and that harsh. Uh, but, yeah, the, the 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 emphasis was to try to be as as honest and truthful as we can and, uh, and call it like we see it. Yeah, and I think you were telling me too. It's not necessarily just uh, current releases or new releases. You also go back and and look at the library from past years. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. It it gives us a chance to, especially in uh, you know franchises. I mean, all the big blockbusters that are coming out today uh, are probably in, in you know either a, a reboot or a re revisit or such mm. and such or just a, or just a sequel in general. So we take that opportunity to go back and look at. Uh, the franchise as a whole. Uh, we just literally finished up the Rambo franchise leading up to the newest Rambo. And the next oh, one okay. we're going to get into uh, is the Terminator franchise leading up to the Terminator, uh, the new Terminator film. So, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. And it's it's um, it's kind of been a labor of love, but it's a great opportunity for us to just, you know, two hours a week. We just sit down, pop in an old film that we haven't seen in a while and see how it still feels. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's been it's been a lot of fun. Huh. One of the things you mentioned to me as we were uh, prepping for this was that uh, you found that uh, one of the things you got from your love of films was the fact that you started to take notice of, of music. And, you know, up until that point, you hadn't really bothered much with music, but even even something like pop music was something that started to enter into your uh, into your sphere as, as a result of films. Tell us a little bit about that, because that's going to lead us into your first choice for the uh, cue we're going to listen to. 
Yeah, I, it's, it's funny. I mean, I, you know, when I was younger, I mean, I was the oldest of four, so I didn't have, you know, the, the typical older brother who would uh, pull out his vinyl and introduce you to, to music. Mm. Uh, I had some things that were sort of handed down from my father, Billy Joel, Steely Dan, which I still love. Uh, but a lot of, a lot of music was, was sort of a mystery for me. And, uh, but film was my big thing. I mean, I was always a movie fan since I was very young. Uh, so oftentimes, the films would be my sort of vehicle for discovery music. Um, today, you know, soundtracks, uh, anything by Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, they always have spectacular soundtracks. Uh, Vanilla Sky is a particular guilty pleasure of mine. Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, a film that has probably very standard 70s tunes that most people will be aware of. But for me, it was, it was uh, brand new. Yeah. Uh, and I can recall going to see Goodfellas. I mean, I, I, I still think Goodfellas is one of the greatest films ever made, frankly. Uh, I must have seen it uh, probably three or four times in the theater. And mm-hmm. I can remember the soundtrack for that was spectacular. It was great. It was a soundtrack that sort of, again, Scorsese's very smart. He sort of leads you through a timeline and he uses the, uh, the music of, of the era uh, to define that in a way. And I remember walking out of the theater. And they played during the film, and then they played it again at the end. But they played the the piano uh, exit from Layla, um, which I mean, I just fell in love with this piece of music. And I remember one of the times walking out of the theater with friends, I would say, you know, boy, that 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 song is great. I got to find out what that is. And 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 my friends were looking at me, they're like, that's Layla. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, what, what's that? And they're like, that's that is Derek and the Dominoes. Eric Clapton is the lead singer, and pretty much every summer when the radio stations, the classic rock stations do like the countdown of the top 200 rock songs of all time. That's usually at least in the top five, if not in the top three, how do you not know that song? And I was like, (laughs) I I just didn't. Uh, And it was an instant favorite. So it was, uh, do we know who wrote this then? Is it, or is it just uh, credit goes to Derek and the dominoes, I guess. I, I, yeah, I, that's all I know. I know it's again. Eric Clapton was the lead singer, so I don't know if he wrote it, but uh, he was he was the lead singer for Derek and the Dominoes at the time when this was written. Okay, well let's have a listen. It's a, a particular favorite of mine as well, and this is from the movie Goodfellows. The uh, the cue is called Layla, the piano exit.
when you were younger and you were, you know, kind of taking an interest in soundtracks, did you find you were kind of a, a the odd guy out that you know everybody thought well, that's kind of weird? Why aren't you know why aren't you <laughs> listening to this or that? You you like you know film music with orchestras and stuff? What was, was that, that ever strange for you? It was. It is. It's funny you say that because that was very true. Uh, when I was younger, yes. I mean, I if I asked my parents for a record, uh, you know, I wasn't asking for the the newest uh, pop pop album, rock album. I was usually asking for a soundtrack. Uh, mm-hmm. That was yeah. That was kind of my music for much of my youth. And and e- e- I could remember even being tortured as a, in high school. Uh, my friends were listening, were again listening to classic rock uh, bands and stuff, and I was just listening to movie soundtracks. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was it was weird. Yeah, I, 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 one of my earliest memories of visiting a record store, and I'm going to show my age here, was that I can remember almost literally drooling when I saw this this album with this incredible cover for a movie called Thunderball. <laughs> and I would, I would just, I would just, yeah, oh, I just wanted that so bad. And then mm. finally, I saw another one called "You Only Live Twice," and I, and I was able to talk my mom into buying me that one. So yeah, I know what you mean. It, um, uh, it, it, one of the things the internet has done for me over the years is it lets me know that I'm, I'm not alone in that love. There's actually quite a lot of us out there. So it's right. been interesting to learn that. Well, how did you? How did you get into uh, to podcasting, particularly when I mean it was out there, but it wasn't nearly as popular as it is now? You mentioned 2006. Was there was there a, mm. some kind of spark that said I want to do this? Uh, yes, there was. Well, again, I was, you know, the the idea to sort of take my my Bond fandom to the next level uh, was really, especially back around uh, 2003, 2004. I my thought at the time was to write a book, and you know again I I, I kind of knew what I wanted to focus on, but I had no idea the process of actually writing, of actually uh, getting something published, etc. Mm. And it was sort of right around this time, probably around 2006, that a, a friend of mine, actually ironically, my friend David, who I do the uh, reviews without remorse podcast with, he got the podcast bug first. And he was teamed up with some people uh, working on a gaming podcast. They were very much into video games. And you know, and when he was telling me about this, I literally said, what's a podcast? And this was sort of my introduction. And uh, at some point, he, again, knowing my obsession with James Bond, there was a video game that was coming out around that time uh, called From Russia With Love, where they, uh, dug, right. they brought in, they were able to lure Sean Connery in to do some voiceover work and so they did the video game. My friend Dave asked me, would you like to record something to record a review of the game? I said, sure, why not? So I did. I uh, I mean, I was going to buy the game anyway, but I, I went and grabbed it, played it, and then recorded uh, a review. You know, kind of huh. made my notes, did the recording, did the editing, and then submitted it. And it was, and I, that's exactly when I got the bug. I said, this is, not only is this fun to do, but what a perfect outlet for the material that I sort of have in my mind. So that's exactly how that came out. Yeah. Yeah. You, um, I love your list by the way of cues that we're going to play today. This next one is, is, a is iconic and it's ironic as well because only just a couple of days ago, I was very fortunate to go to a, a, a concert here in, in my humble little city of Baton Rouge. Uh, Bill Conti is a, 
uh, graduate of LSU, and uh, he he comes back occasionally. And he did a did a concert and played a lot of things uh, of his. And one was uh, from the film we're going to talk about, and that being Rocky. Uh, the mm. cue you chose was "Going the Distance." Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your reasoning for uh, wanting to choose uh, choose that and include that on your list of favorites. It's you know what Rocky again. It's hard to be a fan of film and not be a fan of Rocky films, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's such an incredible film uh, franchise, and the score for for the Rocky films, I mean, particularly uh, at least the first three, were spectacular. And mm. again, like I, you know, I love the. I, I mean, it, the gonna fly now is sort of what everyone knows and is very iconic. Uh, but honestly, I could listen to those soundtracks all the way through the the uh, the the heart pumping, uh, you know, fight, uh, scenes and, right. and the softer music. Uh, but yeah, the going the distance, that is the sort of, I, I sort of find that to be the, the hidden gem on the original Rocky score. Again, it's not the one that everyone knows, but it, but for me, it's, Oh my God, is it just a, a magnificent piece of music? It is. And it was, it was spectacular hearing it live and, and him joking about the fact this is, uh, I'm going to play a tune that helped get my daughters through college. And so it obviously was extremely popular and, uh, and I'm delighted to be able to play it for our audience right now. This is a, this is from the film Rocky. Uh, the cue is called going the distance and it's written by Bill Conti.
it's interesting uh, in looking through your list. I was uh, I was I, I kind of thought all of a sudden, you know, it's a list that I like and I connect to it very well. But it's it reminded me of sometimes what my daughter will tell to me, uh, say to me, she's most of your selections are what my daughter would call, you know, old movies. I mean, old movies like <laughs> made before 2000. Um, <laughs> is he, is, is, any reason behind that, do you think? Uh, I, I, well, I'm, honestly, I, I'm probably going to show my age, but to be honest with you, I just feel like they don't make them like they used to, I you agree. know, I, I, you know, I mean, I, there's some of the, the film scores that I grew up were just so incredible. And I find today that th- there's not a lot of people doing really, really high quality film scores like we did. I mean, John Williams was masterful that any time he scored a film you, you were literally getting like something that was so incredibly iconic already i mean he every time he scored a film it would just sort of go down in history as something that everyone knows that associates with that character mm-hmm. and uh yeah i hate to say it but uh they, they don't make them like they used to yeah well and, and it seems to me like it's 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 more just kind of noise uh, versus melody these days, uh, yes. it's what John Barry used to refer to as QE music. There's there's really no melody. There's no start, middle and end. Right, you kind right. of see it the same way. Yeah, I, I, mean, I honestly I, I even, you know, a lot of people love the the score for the Avengers. Uh, I find it to be fine. It's it's good. Uh, but again, not that not it doesn't have the depth that uh, John Williams used to have. Uh yeah, and a lot of the scores today, like the, uh, you know, when things are slow, the music is slow. When things pick up, the music picks up. And yeah, but that, again, it is, I, I sort of rely on a good score to add something that mm-hmm. I'm not already seeing on screen. I mean, I, I see movement. I understand that there's movement. So just having a, a peppy, repetitive um, music sound, it, it doesn't add much. Um but honestly, sometimes the music, you know, a good score, I think, will sort of play with the idea of uh, contrasting, you know, complement or contrast. Yeah. And somewhere within that, sometimes it adds a certain level to to what I'm seeing and feeling that would not have been other been there otherwise. That's that's a great description. You you mentioned John Williams, which is going to lead us to our next cue. And it's interesting. I've heard it said, and I, I think there's an element of truth to this. And I want to say it was both. Well, no, I think. In this mid '70s area, when, when like when he came out with Jaws and uh, and uh, Star Wars and those sorts of things, that was when all of a sudden I think s- soundtracks started to really experience a a, a renaissance and, a, mm. and a, an explosion in popularity. You know, where actually people started buying the albums again. And one of them that was very popular was uh, one of your choices, and that was from the film called Superman. And yes. this is folks, this is the original one. This is going back to you know with the. Uh, Christopher Reeves, not the ones you've been seeing recently. Uh, the coup you chose was Chasing Rockets. Tell us a little bit about uh, about your choice uh, for having that on your list. Mm. Yeah, that honestly, that one, I, I think it's probably one of my favorite scores. And again, uh, when you talk about John Williams, there's certainly no shortage of great examples of magnificent scores that he's done that have, again, gone on to just become completely iconic. Uh, but I... One of the earliest albums I can remember getting when I was younger was the score for Superman. 
Uh, a double album, no less, right? Uh, yes, yeah. With, the, with wow. the big, it folded out, and the big picture of Superman stretched across the the centerfold was, oh my god, was incredible. Uh, and I can I can even remember listening to that record when I was younger, and my grandmother at the time telling me, you know, we really need to get you into like classical music and opera. And um, you know, I, I've given opera a shot, and I don't I don't really think it it took. Uh, but yeah. I I I have uh, you know I think a lot of that did give me a passion for classical music. But this piece specifically the chasing rockets i think that kind of goes back to what i was saying where there's there's just something about the music that's playing here there there's a complexity that i honestly can't really verbalize but but again it it layers some feeling into what you're watching it's not just your generic action score it's not you know mm-hmm. there's action so here's an actiony sort of piece of music it it really it has some like a, a complexity to it that I, again, there's 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 sometimes when I'm watching that film, and I'm watching action on the screen, but the 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 score underneath, it it it's it, it's almost saying something different, like it's questioning what you're seeing or, or it's it's opening your brain up in a way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this I mean this one for me is just a, a just a perfect example of where the score it just takes on a life of its own. Oh, excellent, excellent description. Well, let's uh, let's have a listen for ourselves. This is uh, from the uh, film Superman. I want to say 78, I think you're somewhere in that area. Um, It's written by the maestro, John Williams. mentioned uh classical music um it's interesting how uh classical music has been used in uh, in movies before 
And I found it interesting that you wanted to choose a, a couple of pieces of classical music on your list. What went into your thinking of choosing uh, these two well-known classical pieces? Uh, again, just fascinatingly, uh, film, again, was my sort of window into music. And, you know, one of my all-time favorite filmmakers has always been Woody Allen. And I think he, again, does... It, it's amazing. I've always heard it said when you are thinking about becoming a screenwriter that the temptation to direct the film through your screenplay is something you shouldn't really do. Uh, let your story be your story and let the director be the director. Mm -hmm. uh, but I find that when you watch a Woody Allen film, you sort of can see what can happen when you do write and direct your own stuff. And I love how in some of his films, again, it's a, a he does some great looking films. And when you look at Manhattan, I mean, the, the photography is absolutely beautiful. Uh, the cinematographer, Gordon Willis, is absolutely amazing. Uh, but again, he can write a, a scene a certain way and then add a piece of classical music sometimes to what you're watching. And it elevates it to a level that could not have come through with just the the dialogue, etc. cetera. Uh, so yeah, that was another opportunity I had when I was younger to really sort of expand my my musical repertoire um, with with music. I, Manhattan, again, he uses all Gershwin in there. And, you know, the well-known piece is, of course, Rhapsody in Blue, which instantly became one of my favorites upon seeing this film. Yeah. Uh, but some of the other ones he's done, Hannah and Her Sisters is another particular favorite of mine, and he uses a piece from Bach. Again, something that I, I might have heard sort of in passing, but when I watch it in the context of the film, it really does. It's almost like it's introducing me to why we feel a certain way about music. So hmm. when the film is effective and when the scene is effective and the music comes into play and accentuates it, I get it. It's like if I didn't understand music before – this film helps me to understand music. Great description. And you, and you, the two uh, films you mentioned are where we're going to uh, play cues from. And I'm trying to think that I, I don't have a, a, a good memory on when it comes to Woody Allen films. Did he ever use original score or did he always kind of use classical pieces or pop music or something like that? Do, do you know That's offhand? a great question. I I don't know if he has ever used a, an original score, frankly. I can't think of any. He, I mean, he tends to fall back on uh, classical music, a lot of jazz, obviously. Yeah, uh, right. And, and, and a nice mixture sometimes, like classics and, and contemporaries. In fact, I have there, – there's a CD sitting on, on my shelf right now. It's, it's called Woody Allen Classics, and it's literally just pieces of music that he lifted for many of his films. And it's hmm. – honestly, it's one of my favorites. Yeah. Well, let's let's have a listen to this. Uh, these we're going to play two cues back to back. One, the first one is from the uh, film Manhattan, uh, and as uh, Joe just mentioned, this is a Rhapsody in Blue, written, written by uh, George Gershwin. And then the the next cue following that will be from Hannah and her sisters. This is a a, a piece by Bach. I, I I don't know. Every time I say that, I always think of the Mash episode. Ah, Bach. <laughs> um, uh, the, uh, the cue is called Largo from Harpsichord Concerto and F minor. It's a really catchy title. Um, uh, but these are two great pieces of music that I have no doubt that you'll recognize when you hear them. Uh, so let's have a listen. Uh, the first one from Manhattan, 
George Gershwin, and the second one from Anna and her sisters, Johann Sebastian Bach.
the next one on your on your list is from uh, I had a recent guest that is in love with this composer. And I actually have to admit that I, I've never seen the movie. I feel bad about this because I know it's it's very well received. The film I'm talking about is uh, Legends of the Fall. And the score was done by James Horner, who uh, we tragically lost a couple of years ago. Uh, tell us a little bit about your choosing that particular uh, score and cue uh, to be on your favorites. You know, I've always had sort of a weakness for soundtracks uh, that are done for these films that we would sort of call sweeping epics, mm-hmm. uh, you know, big, beautiful, lush landscapes, etc. cetera. Uh, the soundtrack to last of the Mohicans came to mind. In fact, I was, I, I thought about adding that one as well, but I was afraid I was getting a little carried away. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, James Horner is a guy, again, um, it, that's sort of a name that it took me a long time before I learned of his music. And when you look at his his repertoire i mean it's sort of amazing the varied bits of things that he's done he's done uh, star trek 2 the wrath of khan uh titanic which i think everyone is very familiar with but then he can do something like commando uh which kind of has that sort of you know miami uh spanish sort of feel to it uh and i mean he, he i think his work is absolutely amazing um one of the soundtracks that i absolutely adore is Braveheart. I mean, and, and then talking about your sweeping epics there, I mean, that to me is a magnificent score. Uh, but yeah, the one that I, I decided to go with, and again, this is, has been, and it's, it's, it's nice because it's a very simple melody. You know, it's not the big score, you know, but this one is just more, um, it's more heartfelt, you know, it's, it's a mm-hmm. little more personal. And yeah, this one is Legends of the Fall, uh, a film that I really, really enjoy. Uh, not a perfect film, but uh, yeah, I, I enjoy the film. And I think the the music to this, again, that's when you sort of feel this film being elevated into something more. Yeah, I mean, if, if anyone's ever had a chance uh, to watch a movie where, where there's there is no music, and I've seen some rough cuts before of some various films. It's amazing how flat they can be without mm. that added element. I mean, have you ever had that opportunity to to see something where there there hasn't been any music track laid in yet? I I have I I have, and you're absolutely correct. It it's it's odd. It's very jarring when you watch a film that way. I've also seen examples where people have experimented and changed the music. And I find that sometimes to be very fascinating. Uh, there's a film, again, I'm going to uh, touch touch on my James Bond fascination, but there's a, an unofficial film, which I'm sure you're aware of, called Never Say Never Again with yeah. Sean Connery from the <laughs> mid-'80s. And, you know, again, it's, it's, a, it's a weird one because it was done by an outside company, not uh, the Broccoli family that we were used right. to. Uh, and because of that, they sort of did this kind of jazzy soundtrack and very different from the James Bond score that we're used to. I someone had done an experiment where they had taken out the music that they used and put the traditional James Bond scores back in. Oh, I think I've seen this. Isn't that amazing? And it it really, really changed the whole feeling of that film. I found it to be just a a massive improvement, frankly, to (laughs) to a film that I thought would be media was mediocre at best, but I found it to be much more watchable with the bond score. So yeah, I, I, I know what you're talking about when it comes when you when you watch something without music or or just change music and the, the dr- dramatic effect it can have. 
Well, let's hear a good example of that. This is going to be from the film Legends of the Fall, and it's written by the late James Horner.
Another favorite uh, composer of mine is uh, Jerry Goldsmith, and I was delighted to see that you had decided to include uh, him on your list. Uh, and he's done – he did so many scores. He was pretty mm. prolific, to say the least. And so you have this wide – uh, filmography that you could choose from, and you uh, you chose from the film First Blood. Is there uh, are are there are there other scores that could have potentially made your list other than First Blood? Oh, easily. That, that easily. Goldsmith then? Yeah, he's another one. Honestly, I felt that he, I, you know, talk about one of the heavy hitters in film scoring. Uh, Star Trek: The Motion Picture has it, it, the score for that film is almost so magnificent that it didn't even fit with its subject matter. I almost felt like it elevated it too much, possibly, <laughs> um, to the to the extent that they, they would reuse it in other ways later. Uh, but it really had – it was sort of its own animal in a way. Uh, yeah. But again, I mean, he – you know, films like Poltergeist and Gremlins and Total Recall, he, you know, he, he, he can also do kind of these more bubblegum, fun uh, popcorn movies. Uh, yeah, but the and he did the scores for the Rambo franchise. And one of the things that that's amazing to me about him, uh, he did the score for First Blood, which, again, was, again, what I would sort of call a more heartfelt uh, sort of a, a score, uh, very personal sounding music, which I really love. And almost to the to the extent that I would sort of put that in in the same category as my sweeping epic scores. Uh, then he comes back later and he does Rambo First Blood Part Two. Which, you know, again, a drastic change in tone. This is all action. This is an action driven film. And, you know, the score is instead of being kind of heart heartfelt and, and moving, this one is like dun dun. You know, it's it's, yeah. that, it's that those action beats and, and uh, the, the different instruments. And I if I didn't know any better, I think at the time when I first saw it, I thought they had replaced uh, Jerry Goldsmith with uh, huh. kind of a young up and comer, you know, to try to keep things sort of a little more contemporary. Not at all. He did both. And again, I, I, and I, then I, he goes on to do other ones. And I thought he started to sort of blend the two, the two tones together later on. So yeah, I, his range to me is, is really amazing. But I uh, yeah, I think it's the first blood soundtrack that really sort of gets kind of gets to me a little more personally. Yeah. I, are you familiar with uh, uh, his score for Russia house? Uh, I, I remember no. I saw it, but I, I couldn't tell you if I remember. Yeah, because yeah, that's that's a, got a real jazz feel to it, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, you should check it out sometime when you get a chance. I, I'm a big fan of his as well, and I think he's very strong and, and, and melodic, and that's one of the reasons why I like him a lot. And I and I like this piece that you chose as well. I was just kind of curious of if, if there were other films of his that you like, and you obviously do. Let's um, yeah. let's have a listen to this. This is from the film First Blood. The uh, the cue is called Homecoming. And it's written by the maestro Jerry Goldsmith.
Now, I'm sure our listeners are wondering, now, hold on here just a minute. This guy does a podcast called Being James Bond. He's written a <laughs> book about James Bond. You mean to tell me he doesn't like any of the James Bond soundtracks? Oh, oh, oh contraire. Uh, we, we, we could have done a two-part episode with Joe, to be honest. We could have had one for all these other soundtracks, and then we could have just one, done one on just James Bond. But I've, I've, uh, I've limited him to three. And so uh, we're going to uh, play a, a Bond trilogy for you uh, here in a moment. But just in a general sense, I'm kind of curious. It, um, what was it? I mean, I, I understand your attraction to James Bond, but what was it about the uh, the music, and I guess in particular John Barry's uh, music that that grabbed you? Just kind of tell, talk to me a little bit about that. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's, we I, I briefly mentioned uh, Never Say Never Again, which did not use uh, traditional Bond scores and what that experiment shows is that i think james bond is not james bond without all of his elements and i think the music the 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 traditional bond music is just so integral to what james bond is Mm -hmm. and i i mean i think no one has really captured the essence of james bond the way john barry does in his scores uh, there have been other composers who've done fine work. Uh, I'm, I, I am a big fan of David Arnold, who kind of succeeded uh, John Barry uh, later on. But, uh, yeah, there's something about Barry's work. I mean, he, he knows how to get your heart beating, how to get your blood moving, and, and just do it in a way that just has uh, a style and uh, a sense of panache that only James Bond has. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned David Arnold too because I uh, I agree with you that I, I I felt like he did a an admirable job of trying to capture that that sound but but still keeping it original and and contemporary and things of that nature and it, the music always influenced my whether I liked the film or not. Uh, talking about James Bond, for instance, I'm not mm. a particularly enamored with the spy who loved me and everybody says that's roger moore's best and man man probably it is but the, i just the music didn't work for me and mm. uh it, it 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 influenced my opinion of the of the film as a result so i understand exactly what you're saying yeah um the, you chose three great cues it looks like to, two of them i would say are, are action oriented and one isn't. So let's talk about each one just a, for a brief moment before we play them. Uh, the first one, in fact, you even labeled it here for me as classic action music, <laughs> is from uh, a favorite movie of, I think, both you and me, and that being on Her Majesty's Secret Service. And mm-hmm. the cue is uh, Escape from Piz Gloria. Talk, talk to me a little bit about your uh, wanting to include that on your list. Yeah. Well, John Barry had been scoring uh, pretty much all the James Bond films up until this point. Um I don't know if he gets the credit for Dr. No, but I know he's done all of them since. And by the time he's getting to the fifth one, uh, You Only Live Twice, I, I, I really sort of sense that he's kind of coming into his own. And, you know, I think early on he was trying so hard to sort of get that James Bond feel, uh, you know, that I think his stuff was probably a little tighter. But as the films progress and they sort of go to different settings and different places in the world, his music reflects that. And I think by the time he got to his sixth one, On Majesty's Secret Service, I really think he he really just this was his masterpiece. 
I mm. think I think this the score for this film is I think easily his his most magnificent piece of work. And again, he there are heartfelt moments and then there are heart pumping moments. Uh, and this uh, first ski chase again was the first ski chase in the Bond film, which would go on. Uh, it was so iconic that you would see uh, ski chases in, in many of the films going forward after this. Uh, but boy, does John Barry just pull out all the stops here and and just I, I, comes up with his, again, most magnificent piece of work I think he's ever done. And, and I know you've heard the story, too, is that his approach to it, I don't know if he was told this. I think he was told, but he or came to it uh, on his own, was that, OK, it's the first film without Sean Connery. We've got to do mm-hmm. a, a, a we've got to do an extra special job in selling, you know, this new James Bond as James Bond and that this is a James Bond film, even though Sean Connery isn't in it. And uh, it, it was a conscious effort on his part to kind of go over the top. But you know what? Yeah, I, you, I agree with you. It might be his, his best one in the whole series. Um, you also chose a cue from uh, an action cue from a view to a kill snow job. Uh, another ski chase. Um, and there you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any, any particular reason for, for that one being on your list? Uh, yeah, I really again, it's just another one. And it's funny, you mentioned before how sometimes uh, your favorite music can be in your not you know, necessarily your favorite film. And I think this is a fine example. Uh, I, I like a view to a kill more than most. I think your average bond fan would sort of write it off as being a little too goofy and silly. Uh, I, I like it for what it is, but the score again, John Barry, I feel is he, he's, he's definitely at a point in his career where he's very comfortable experimenting and the experiments pay off. Uh, like the score for the film before this, Octopussy is it's a fine score, it's really good, and I think it it works for the kind of film it's in. Uh, a View to a Kill is is kind of more, it's kind of a little more out there, a little more silly, a little more fun, and I find that the score for the opening ski chase, it's reminiscent of Honor Magic Secret Service, but on steroids. You know, it's huh, almost like yeah. this kind of new hip hipper rock version of things he's done before. And the, the the final product is is pretty wild, frankly, and just yeah. terrific. And then you uh, you you chose a, a love theme from the Living Daylights, and, and all Bond films had had kind of love themes and, and certainly an element mm-hmm. of a love story uh, intertwined into it. Uh, why uh, why the Living Daylights was that one that just kind of hit you particularly? It is. It really is. It's again, that's another John Barry. It, it comes even even later than a view to a kill. Uh, and I believe it's it's uh, in fact, I'm sure it is. It's it, it was yeah, John last Barry's one. last score. Yeah. In the, in the Bond franchise. Uh, on, I find the whole soundtrack to The Living Daylights to be absolutely spectacular. And again, he's sort of hitting this tone. I, I, I've used this analogy before, but for some reason, I find that this whole score reminds me of Autumn. Uh, when I was was back in college and would be walking around the college campus when the leaves were turning, I would listen to this and just it was just a perfect mm. accompaniment to to a great uh, autumn day. Uh, and yeah, Barry, you know, again, he he's got this down to a science at this point where uh, every Bond film now uh, he he comes up with his action beats and then for the romantic scenes he would incorporate the theme song and do sort of an instrumental version of that. And right. it always works uh, spectacularly. The Octopussy uh, love themes were terrific. Here, again, he's doing it again. Uh, and there's a, 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 
a song that was done by the pretenders which was which appears at the end of the film and that's what he's incorporating for his love themes here and i think this one is just just aces i mean he really just it's it's sort of a a magnificent piece of music that can you don't rely on the film it's not hinged on a particular moment in the film just this piece of music by itself is is just perfect yeah well let's uh let's hear these all for ourselves then and uh see what joseph is talking about the, the three cues in a row we're going to play one from the first one from honor majesty's secret service is called escape from piz gloria second is uh, from a view to a kill the cue uh is snow job and then the last one will be from The Living Daylights. The cue is called Into Vienna. And it's written by my hero and best composer out there, in my view, the maestro John Barry.
So I'm I'm curious, uh, looking looking to the future, uh, you, you've already kind of given us a little bit of a hint, but what's uh, what's in your future these days uh, when it comes to to your podcast or or anything else that you're kind of working on? Uh, anything you can kind of share with us? Uh, looking uh, looking in the future. Yeah, I all of it's all going strong, frankly. In fact, I'm I'm really sort of uh, finding myself at sort of a peak. I, I'm busier than I've ever been before. That's for sure. Uh, the podcast. You have a day job, going. I take it, right? I mean, I, <laughs> actually, well, right now, yeah, I I do, and I'm also doing some uh, some freelance video editing. So my my oh, okay. time is is uh, stretched pretty thin, but in a good wow. way. Uh, yeah, the podcast is going strong. Well, first of all, we're doing uh. uh my uh, partner in my uh, film reviews for being James Bond, Scott, uh, he and I decided uh, in the lead up to Bond 25, No Time to Die. I'm still saying Bond 25, by the way. I'm, <laughs> I've been saying it so for so long, it's sort of ingrained in my uh, <laughs> my my mind. Uh, but we uh, went back and decided to do reviews of all the films, all 24 leading up to the 25th. So uh, every other week, we've been uh, reviewing a new film. I've enjoyed uh, those, by the way. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's again, we they're an hour long process, so they're the editing can be a little labor intensive, but again, it's a lot of fun. Um, so we've been doing that, uh, and they they go on the podcast as well, and uh, I've been doing weekly interviews uh, for the podcast. So uh, a lot of people in the Bond community I've been interviewing and doing in, uh, that once a week for the the podcast alone. Uh, and in, in between it all, trying to write a book, <laughs> trying to, trying to write volume two, uh, which is coming along. And, uh, so again, yeah, my, my, my time has been very, <laughs> it's uh stretched thin, but again, like I said, in a very good way, it's because I'm enjoying all of it. Yeah. And where, uh, it might be obvious, but just to, to make sure that we, uh, everybody understands, where is it that you can find you and your, and your podcast? What are, mm-hmm. where do we find that? Uh, pretty much, uh, wherever you find podcasts, just, uh, on, uh, iTunes or Stitcher, et cetera. Uh, just, uh, do a search for being James Bond. It'll come up and, uh, YouTube again, just do a search for, uh, being James Bond and you'll find the YouTube channel there. Okay. And, uh, same thing for the, um, uh, uh, the review, the reviews without remorse. Yes, that is, uh, we have a couple, you know, we tried doing a couple of videos, but honestly, got, we got stretched so thin, I just said, but you can, you can find uh, the reviews on YouTube if that's your preferred method. Uh, otherwise, the, again, the podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, and uh, all the rest. Uh, Spotify, I think it's, it's there. So uh, wherever you get your podcast from. Okay, well, given what you've just told me, I know how busy you are, and, and because of that, I'm really grateful for you taking time to be with us today and doing all the pre-work and helping to put the program together. Uh, it's been a delight. I've really enjoyed talking to you, and, I, and it's obvious that you, uh, you have a real good sense of uh, film music and how it works, and so I appreciate you sharing that with our audience. Thank you, Frank. I appreciate that. And honestly, thank you for having me because this has been it's been a lot of fun because it's you've really given me a chance to kind of, you know, go into my mental archives and pull out all my favorite, uh, (laughs) you know, scores and pieces of music. And honestly, I in in some cases I had I literally pulled some CDs off the shelf to re-listen to a few things. And uh, it's been a delight. So thank you for this. It's been great. Oh, great. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, folks, that's uh, it's going to wrap it up for this edition of What's the Score. We appreciate you listening, and uh, please share it with your friends and do all the, the likes and uh, sharing and all that sort of stuff on all the usual spots where we have our podcast. We're always grateful for that. Uh, that just means there's only one thing left to say, and that's simply this. 
My name is Frank R. Wilson. My time's up. I thank you for yours. Thanks for listening to What's the Score?